Hello there everyone and welcome to the UCL Careers podcast. My name's Joe Budd and I'm a careers consultant here at UCL Careers. Today's episode brings you a panel discussion on the ways to get into the charity and NGO sector as part of our Charities and NGOs themed week. This discussion will focus on the types of skills and experiences that are currently in demand within the sector, the recruitment processes you're likely to encounter, tips on creating successful applications and the types of roles available. So let's get into it. Hi everyone, I'm Amy Lorenko, one of the senior careers consultants with UCL Careers and I'm delighted to host this event today, Getting Into Charities and NGOs, which is part of our Charities and NGOs themed week. The structure of the event today will be as follows. I will ask each of our panelists to introduce themselves and say a bit about their journey into charities and NGOs, and then to explain a bit about their career history. After we've heard from each of our panelists, we will then move to a Q&A and you can post your questions in the Q&A box and you can also like them. So I will uh, ask the most popular questions. We have a fabulous range of case studies also on our Themed Week website, so I'd encourage you to have a look at the uh, case study videos we have published there. So without further ado, I'll pass over to Adam and a big thank you to all our panellists for being uh, available today. To support the kind of trust work. So that might be talking to members of parliament about what we're doing in their area. So it might be a local property that's opening or closing. Um, but I also support the charity's cause as well. So uh, the charity really cares about the environment, but there's obviously so much, only so much we can do on our own land. So it might be working with uh, members of parliament and other charities to change the law to uh, improve action on climate change or biodiversity or on, on cultural heritage. Um, so I think it has those really two roles. Uh, I think the exciting thing about my role at the moment is uh, I'm very much in the hot seat. Uh, any kind of national news you see, I'm sort of following a little bit and I get to go into Westminster and uh, sort of shake hands and sort of oh, in normal times, shake hands with, with politicians and MPs and talk to them about the issues that my charity cares about. Uh, which is really exciting. Uh, and I've got uh, next to my desk uh, actual pieces of legislation, pieces of laws that I've written sentences in that uh, hopefully uh, are making the world a slightly better place. Um, it's sometimes frustrating because it's very much driven by uh, a sort of an external agenda. Um, and sometimes it's really hard to work out where you're making a difference. So compared to uh, my colleagues who are on the ground delivering services, sometimes working out whether that one conversation you've had with a member of parliament um, really makes a difference in the end um, is somewhat challenging. Um, the other thing I will go into kind of how I got here, but the other thing I want to mention is um, it's a, the National Trust is a really big organisation, um, both all over the UK, but also just in terms of staff size. Uh, and that's something um, that's quite new to me um, and sort of has its drawbacks and, and benefits. So it's really great for kind of training uh, and really great for sort of uh, if you want to talk to someone about uh, the best way to look after a red squirrel, you can find it in the National Trust. Uh, but equally, sort of there's a, there's a benefit in having a small charity and knowing everyone um, as well. Um, so in terms of how I got here, I've always been interested in the environment. Uh, and I volunteered at school. Uh, I think I was in a conservation club at school. Uh, and that led me to entering a competition to become a DEFRA climate change champion, which meant I sort of spoke uh, across the UK um, about climate change. Um, so I carried that interest um, 
throughout. Uh, and then at university, I joined a group called the UK Youth Climate Coalition, which was a, a volunteer-led um, youth group that talked about climate change uh, and did campaigns. Um, also at university, I did quite a lot of internships during the summer holidays. I made most of uh, being in, in Astor Halls uh, and volunteered at a couple of different charities. So the Men's Health Charity, which does work on, on men's health, um, a Hansard Society, which is kind of parliamentary and political, uh, and also another one called the Constitution Society. A couple of those were unpaid, unfortunately, um, but one was paid um, and quite well paid as well. Um, I graduated, so I needed an undergrad degree. Uh, I then actually went back home to Essex and worked in my local theatre uh, as a comms assistant. So uh, not what you'd expect in kind of a you know a charity career, but I was sort of marketing um, shows, but also doing a little bit of social media copy, which was then really useful for for later jobs. Uh, after that, I worked at a think tank called the Institute for Public Policy Research, doing events, which is something I'd worked on a little bit at the theatre. Uh, and that gave me sort of an, you know, uh, an idea of how to do the kind of logistic stuff, which is quite a good skill for me. Uh, and then I then worked at a place called the Hand Society, Society, which is the parliamentary think tank. And then uh, as a bit of doing everything for an organisation called CIRA, which is Labour's environment campaign. So I suppose sort of lots of different diff uh, parts of charity work, and parts of different comms work and campaigns, um, which have been quite fun. Um, I suppose I'm probably running out of time, but the three, I think, things I'd wish I'd known. Uh, firstly, that there's no one path. Uh, and I think obviously you all joined a careers event and want to know the tips and tricks to get in, but actually not having that pressure to say there's one ideal way of getting in, it was really useful. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that working in a theatre um, would have unlocked doors for me, but um, it was really useful. Um, what else? Um, and I think part of that is creating your own narrative. Um, and the other thing I think it's just worth knowing is uh, the theory of change. Um, so it might not be a term you come across, but lots of charities have their own theory of change. So how they might see the world coming a better place uh, and actually thinking about what you think um, is the route in or sort of what things excite you um, is quite useful. So do you think that it's mobilizing people in the ground up um, or perhaps delivering services locally or even sort of what kind of work I do sort of parliamentary? I think it's something to think about. Uh, and um, I'll say the rest of the Q&A. Thank you so much, Adam. That was a really, um, really insightful int introduction. And I love that you've introduced um, something new for me, which is the theory of change. So look forward to hearing a bit more about that later. Um, so uh, Paula, if you could go next, that would be great. Great. Thank you so much, Amy. Uh, yes, my name is Paula. I am a community volunteering coordinator at Leonard Cheshire, a charity that supports disabled people to live, learn and work uh, independently, regardless of their ability. We work with governments and um, uh, with, we try to influence local, national and, glo and global government to change laws and policy to make sure that uh, people with disabilities have um, a real possibility in society, we try to, to influence and make sure that we have a very inclusive world. Um, I did, um, I studied poli uh, political science in Colombia and international relations, and then I moved to the UK about many, many years ago, and I did a master's degree at the LSE on comparative politics in Latin America. I really, really enjoyed that. And then after that, it was around 2007, 2008, there was a little bit of a financial crisis. I don't know, some of you might have remembered that. And it wasn't that easy to get into, into the charity sector. And it was my dream to, to find a job in the charity sector. But uh, um, because of the crisis, I just decided to, to volunteer. 
I thought, okay, there might not be so many opportunities around, so I thought I'm going to volunteer. So I, I joined a charity called NAS Project London, which was helping people with AIDS, and I was helping to translate from uh, English to Spanish and giving workshops for uh, Latin American people to have uh, more information about sexual health and educated them. Uh, then later on, I had a little bit of a gap on my career. I went traveling around the world and um, I later on joined um, volunteer as a parent representative and uh, at a primary school. And I really enjoyed that. And then I joined a Latin American charity called IRMO, which stands for Indo-American Refugee and Migrant Organization, supporting uh, Latin American people to have access to their rights, to understand what the UK could offer them. And the charity also support people to have English lessons and feel more uh, included in society. Uh, then I became a trustee on safeguarding for the charity. Uh, for some of you, you might not know, but trustees are volunteers who help the charity to, <clears throat> to they are directors of the charity. And that role helped me to understand safeguarding, to help with policies and making sure that people uh, who are very vulnerable are safe and protected. Uh, then later on, I also joined another charity called uh, Action for Children, which supports vulnerable children who are look after the local authority. And that charity was really, really interesting to work for because the, the job was very meaningful, supporting children who are very vulnerable and needed a lot of support. And now I'm working for an amazing organization called Leonard Cheshire. I'm really passionate about what they do. We try to support a lot of disabled people uh, we currently have about 120 care homes in the UK and we support them as much as we can. We are trying to keep them safe despite um, COVID-19. We are trying to make sure that everybody is safe and protected. And we also have um, uh, programs supporting young disabled people internationally, making sure that they have access to education. And we also have programs supporting young disabled people in the UK to have um, access to different skills and gain confidence and also um, supporting them to have access to employment um, with uh, some paid internships with top employers. Uh, my role on a day-to-day -day basis is really meaningful. We are trying to uh, have an engagement with the community, making sure that we deliver lots of sessions for people uh, at the moment virtually because not many people can have access to the care homes as everybody knows it's very difficult at the moment. Um, to do face-to-face -face volunteering, but we're trying to do everything virtually. And uh, yes, so that's, that's all about me and how I got into the charity sector. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. And it sounds like a really international career so far with traveling and studying in Colombia and in London. Um, so I'm sure that will resonate with a lot of uh, the students here today um, who will be international students as well. So um, we we'll look forward to exploring that um, a bit later. Thanks, Amy. And next will be Emily. Hi. Um, so I am Emily Niner. Uh, as it says there, I'm the Participation Programme Manager at Ambitious About Autism. Um, participation Programme Manager is a lot of words. I mean, lots of people are called Programme Managers and it can mean very different things. So um, what I do uh, leading this team is I work with autistic young people across England. Um, age 16 to 25, and we offer participatory opportunities. So that could be research. Um, we do a lot of research projects with 
um, CRAE, which is the Centre for Research in Autism and Education uh, at the IOA at UCL. Lots of letters there. Um, we run services. Um, we do a lot of work in policy. So like Adam was saying, um, but I support the young people across the country to feed into our consultations. Um, so everything that we do at Ambitious is led by uh, that cohort of young people. Um, what else do we do? All sorts. It's really changed. Um, I used to run a lot of panels face to face. I used to work a lot of weekends, um, bringing young people together, mainly in London, but also uh, in Manchester, um, to work on campaigns that were important to them. So they would come up with a topic, I would find funding, and then we'd work together. Um, obviously can't do that. <laughs> so everything that we're doing has moved online, but actually that has really opened up opportunities um, for me and my team, because whereas before I had a limited amount of funding, I could only pay for a certain amount of train tickets, for example, now I can engage a lot more young people online. Um, for some of my young people, that's great. They really appreciate it. And actually it's a lot easier to engage and for others, they really do miss the face-to-face -face interaction. So I think going forward, there'll be a mix of that. Um, I also sit on SMT. I don't know if that's interesting to anyone, um, but I've been ambitious for three and a half years now. And um, so now I'm senior management team, which means I'm a lot more involved in the decisions of the charity as a whole. Um, and contrary to Glenn and Cheshire and, and National Trust, we are tiny. Uh, so we have a charitable income of about two million pounds a year. Um, so where I sit, I sit under the director of external affairs, which means that I'm really, we're really involved in everything <laughs> so we kind of have input on comms policy um marketing all sorts um everyone's kind of all hands on deck um part of my role um well kind of separate to my role but inclusive of it um i did a winston churchill memorial trust fellowship uh, a traveling fellowship um so i did that with the support of the young people that i work with we came up with the topic um which was looking into exploring post-diagnostic support services for autistic young people. Um, it sounds niche, but actually it affects a lot of people when you're given a diagnosis, you're quite often just sent away with no information and that can be really um, damaging. So we did that. Um, but yes, how did I get here? Um, I run a lot of streams of work, so it's quite hard to like condense down. Um, but I studied French and Russian. So you can see a nice link there. Um, French and Russian uh, and I graduated in 2016. Um, during my degree, I, the same as Adam, I did a lot of volunteering and internships. Um, I actually found all my roles through UCL, <laughs> uh, which is a real shout out to you guys. So I did um, an internship at Leonard Cheshire in uh, fundraising. I did an internship at Bernardo's in children's advocacy. Um, I then, I also helped out um, with Fitzrovia Youth in Action, which was doing some tutoring in a local college. Um, then on my year abroad, I found a volunteering role for myself that time um, and worked in a school for disabled um, children. Um, it was a school set up by parents because there's not really provision in Russia, uh, the same as we have here. Um, and then when I came back from my year abroad, I managed to get one of the Santander um, internships. So I was actually paid, um, uh, what was it, London Living Wage, not with Santander, but Santander funded the opportunity. So I worked for Alfredo Rathbone Camden um, and that was my first kind of foray into participation, um, which really is just listening to the group of people who the service you provide and making sure that it's led by them. 
Um, I then had a role in participation, working with local authorities and housing associations, and then realised that my real passion was working with um, young autistic people, young people with additional needs, and the role Ambitious came up, uh, and the rest is history. Um, so I was thinking about tips, and my tips are very focused on recruitment, because I've just done a recruitment, um, recruitment for my team. Um, so one of the things I was looking for was volunteering. Um, I think at Ambitious, we don't have a requirement for a degree. I know it doesn't help because you've all got degrees, we've got degrees. Um, but it's not a requirement and we look more for experience. Um, I think now's a really good opportunity for volunteering. Um, a lot of people who are applying for this job, I could see that they were taking the opportunity to do befriending or like online groups, things that perhaps they didn't have the time for before, because I know it can be really difficult to fit volunteering in. Um, I saw a question a bit about, well, that's for later, but I really needed someone who understood the core, the cause, so I hate calling it that. Under, I could see that they were passionate about young autistic people. They had a link to that or young people with learning disabilities. Um, that I really, really looked for that. Even if it was a little thing, I needed a link there. Um, and when applying, please use the person specification. Someone said about how do you stand out? We have a person specification for a reason. And even if some of my most favorite applications have been when someone has literally put the spec and answered underneath. And it's like, great, I've got excellent examples and I can use that um, rather than like a long flowing narrative. Um, yeah, I think that's all my, all my tips for now. I'm on a very recruitment focused drive, but hopefully that's helpful. Thank you, Emily. That's really helpful. And um, I'm sure we'd be picking up a bit more on, on that um, recruitment experience in a bit. That's really helpful that you've just been through that so you can impart your wisdom about what you're looking for. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Hannah, over to you. Great. Thanks so much. It's really great to be here talking to UCL students. Um, got very fond memories there. Um, but so yes, I'm Hannah and I am advocacy and youth advisor at Sun CSN, which stands for the Scaling Up Nutrition Civil Society Network. Um, so that's a bit of a preview of uh, what you'll find in the sector, which is that there are just acronyms everywhere. Um, so yeah, forgive me if I use any during uh, this section. Um, but the Sun CSN is part of a global movement of different stakeholders in over 60 countries who are all acting to end malnutrition in all its forms. Um, so that comprises civil society, so charities and NGOs, but also business, uh, the UN and donors. Um, and I work in the secretariat of the civil society network, which is actually hosted by Save the Children UK. A secretariat is kind of like an administrative function. Um, so my role in the secretariat is to manage a programme called uh, the Youth Leaders for Nutrition programme. Uh, so the youth leaders are a group of 13 young advocates who lobby national governments, but also global decision makers to take action on nutrition. And managing the programme covers everything from um, managing group communications, like hosting monthly calls with the youth leaders and sending them newsletters, um, but also it covers uh, overseeing sub-granting, uh, managing the programme budget, reporting on the youth leaders' activity to our donors and to our steering group, and also just to supporting the youth leaders as individuals as well. Um, and another part of my role is to support our member 
civil society alliances uh, with their advocacy priorities. So civil society alliances are kind of groups of civil society organizations all around the world who are also working to uh, combat malnutrition. Um, and I also support the West and Central Africa region of the Sun Civil Society Network. And that allows me to use my French skills, um, which takes me back to my degree at UCL. Um, so I studied French and Italian. So I'm another language student who has found her way into the charity sector. And um, UCL is really where my career started. Um, so I started at UCL in 2013. <clears throat> which was a time when there were lots of student protests against austerity, against university fees. Um, and this is really where I got politicized and I just wanted to do more and more. So I um, took up a few volunteering roles in really small um, places to begin with. So one was like a small protest group called the People's Assembly Against Austerity, who were quite often at these protests. I went into their office a few hours a week to uh, volunteer with them. And then in the summer of my second year at uni, I knew I wanted to do some work experience again. Um, so I just sort of sent some speculative emails to a few organizations and a few MPs. And I ended up getting a reply from the Fawcett Society, which at the time was a very small UK women's rights organization. Um, so I did an internship with them over the summer, which was initially unpaid for a month. But then after the end of that month, they asked me to stay on for longer. And thankfully they started paying me. Um, well, I'm sure uh, unpaid opportunities will come up a lot in this discussion as they're unfortunately quite common in the sector. Um, but what I was doing there in that work experience was sort of general admin activities, but also trying out a few things like helping out events, helping out on social media and things like that. I then went on my year abroad, but I really kept my foot in the door with Fawcett. Um, so every time I came back to London during my year abroad, I would sort of volunteer at an event with Fawcett and really, you know, kept that relationship with them, um, which helped me to get a part-time role with them during my final year at uni when I came back to London the following year. Um, so I ended up in a part-time role as campaigns and communications assistant, which I did for the entirety of my final year, apart from the exam period, which was really tough in terms of keeping up with coursework and everything, but it was so worth it. And I really enjoyed it more than my degree, to be honest. Um, so what I was doing there was kind of a continuation of what I was doing as an intern, but with more responsibility. So more social media, um, supporting Fawcett local groups, producing newsletters. Um, and I also wrote a report called Sounds Familiar, which I'm really proud of, which uh, went in, which talked about young women's experiences of discrimination. Um, so after I graduated, I left Fawcett um, and I started looking for other jobs. I started working at a place called Global Citizen, which is a platform for people to take action to advance the sustainable development goals. Um, and I was digital campaigns assistant, um, where I did lots of copywriting uh, for things like their uh, campaign emails and also online actions. And in my time there, I was promoted to digital campaigns officer. So I started managing external campaign partnerships and uh, supporting on some more strategic uh, things as well. Um, after my time at Global Citizen, I went on to Save the Children UK, where I initially started off in a very similar role to what I did at Global Citizen, so digital campaigns. Um, but what Save the Children opened up to me was the opportunity to really get involved in lots of different kinds of campaigning. So um, campaigning with young people in schools and at youth groups. And I really, really found my passion doing that. I realized I loved working with young people and I realized that I didn't want to do so much in digital anymore. 
Um, so the benefit of a big organization is that they kind of have more infrastructure to allow you to explore different things. Um, so I was tasked with a research project looking into how SAVE could campaign with university students, uh, which was a really fascinating project. And I'm happy to talk more about that later. Um, but then uh, while I was at Save the Children, an opportunity came up to go on a secondment. Um, so to have like a temporary uh, change of role to my role in what I'm doing now, which is at Sun CSN, where I've been since last May. Um, so uh, just before I talk about a few tips on getting into the sector, I'm also a trustee of a small charity uh, called Ollie's Future, which was set up in memory of my friend Ollie, who uh, was a student here at UCL. And I'm also a CLAW Social Leadership Fellow, which is a uh, kind of a, a course where you can advance your knowledge of leadership, which was uh, enormously helpful. Um, and so my tips for getting into the sector just very quickly are to find your passion and then show your, what your passion is. Um, look for lots of opportunities to get involved uh, with different things. Don't wait until graduation to start looking for a charity job. Um, really, you know, as, as soon as you're aware that you're passionate about something, try and get involved uh, with different organizations and different groups uh, as soon as you can to show how passionate you are. Um, and yeah, a few, I mean, I got into the sector by sending a speculative email, so they can work if it's a small enough organization and you get it at the right time, it really can work. And uh, you can, if you build a relationship with an organization that can really help too. Um, and the final thing that I'll mention is that you don't necessarily need a master's degree to get into the sector. Um, so when I was in my final year at uni and I was working at Fawcett, I started thinking, oh, do I need to do a master's? And I asked some of my older colleagues if it was necessary for them. And they all recommended kind of waiting, getting some work experience, finding out what you're interested in. And then if you want to specialize in something, you can do a master's later if it's useful, um, which is what I did and it's worked for me. Um, so yeah, just something to bear in mind. You don't necessarily need one, but it can help depending if you want uh, on what you want to specialize in. Um, so I will finish there. Thank you so much, Hannah. That is really, uh, really interesting and, and lovely to hear about the um, your trustee roles as well. Um, yeah, it sounds like um, a really, uh, yeah, valuable experience as well. Uh, Fiona, over to you. Thanks, Amy. Um, so yes, I'm Fiona. I work at Save the Children UK as a campaigner. Um, I'm glad Hannah went before me because she's probably explained quite a bit <laughs> about Save the Children. We actually used to work in the same team before she went as a comment. Um, and we've also worked in previous places together as well, but I'll go into that a bit later. So yes, I work at Save the Children. If you're not familiar with what Save the Children do, um, we are a child's rights charity, um, child's rights organisation. So our kind of main goals and breakthroughs are to make sure that children um, have the opportunity to kind of learn, um, have the opportunity to survive and are kind of kept healthy. Um, and yeah, making sure that children all over the world can be who they want to be. So both in the UK, but also in other countries as well. So I sit in the kind of campaigns team at Save the Children. Um, so a lot of what I do is supporting and developing the strategy for our various UK facing campaigns um, and trying to influence the UK government to make um, change on issues that we care about. So often relating to things like uh, the overseas aid budget or protecting children in conflict. Um, and some work in the UK as well. So just ensuring that children here in the UK don't kind of um, feel the impacts that COVID has had currently um, and are just protected as much as possible. Um, 
So kind of on top of, I suppose, designing the strategies or various campaigns and making sure that they are successful and impactful, I also work um, quite closely with our uh, kind of supporters, so our volunteers who want to campaign with us. So um, in my role, I've managed um, a group of campaign volunteers called Campaign Champions, who are adult volunteers. I've actually had a bit of a stalk on the participants list, and I spotted someone already who is a volunteer with us and is on um, this webinar listing. So shout out to you. I'm not going to call your name out because I don't want to embarrass you, um, but hey. And um, I'm also working as well on kind of our student ambassador program. So Hannah mentioned this earlier because she had started off this project, which I then took over. Um, and essentially, it's looking to engage specifically university students in some of our campaigning work and building them up to be powerful change makers at their university and kind of setting off setting them off on that sort of trajectory um, which is really cool so just to talk a little bit about like how I got here um, I actually started off um, doing biomedical sciences at dare I say at King's College London um, I know <laughs> don't hate me um, and yeah I mean it, I wasn't that much into science I say I, I kind of just did it because I wanted to be a doctor but didn't get into medicine so ended up doing biomedical sciences but uh, throughout that degree I really realized that it was like the social side of science that I was interested in um, and I kind of finished my undergrad and didn't really know what to do if I'm honest um, and I remember I was like okay well I'll just do a master's then because I don't really want to get straight into work um, and I think I was the first year where you could get um, a loan from the government to fund your master's so it wasn't like a situation where I had, didn't have the money and had to ask my parents so I did a master's and decided to do global health and development at UCL um, and I think that course is where I sort of really realized that I actually wanted to work in the kind of an NGO sector so back in my kind of school days a long time ago now I was quite supportive with like fundraising and things but didn't really realize that that could be a career. Um, so it wasn't until this global health and development course that I was introduced to this sort of concept. Um, and in particular, I think I did a few modules on things like conflict, humanitarianism, health, and like power and global health, power politics and global health. I can't remember the exact course names now, but I really realized that this was kind of the sort of area that I wanted to work in. So I finished my master's and was like, okay, I wanna work in the NGO sector but decided to go traveling first. So I went traveling for three months and then was like, okay, now I'm gonna start the job hunt. Um, unfortunately for me, I, I, I had a friend at the time who suggested that I do an internship at Cancer Research UK because she had done one there previously. And I hadn't really thought about my career if I'm quite honest, um, but applied and got in. So after I came back traveling, I went straight into that internship, which was in sports events. So kind of like the fundraising side of things. Um, and from there I realized that I didn't want to do fundraising in charities um, and that was an incredible um, internship there because I learned a lot about just how charities work it is a really large organization um, and just kind of like yeah just introduced myself into that sort of area um, and once that internship finished um, I was on the job hunt again and it took me I think three months to find another opportunity which is where I ended up a global citizen with Hannah doing an internship um, and actually worked, worked quite closely with her on some of the sort of digital campaigns and was there for six months. And at the very end of that internship, when I was still on the job hunt, I managed to find a role at Save the Children um, in the kind of advocacy and campaigns division that I'm in now, which I wasn't seeking out, if I'm honest. I always thought I wanted to work in the humanitarian and programs side of things. But with my experience in Global Citizen and that kind of campaigning side, I ended up 
in the kind of policy advocacy and campaigns department save the children initially as an administrator so doing very much like admin style work and then within six months i'm transferred into the role i'm in now which is a campaigner and i've been in this role for i think just over a year and a half now so i think just to kind of summarize my journey it's it's probably been a bit longer than I think other people um, and it's not been so um, focused but I think that's my top tip to share with yours um, everyone has their own kind of route and you will get there in the end and I actually have to disagree with Hannah's point she won't mind me saying of you know don't wait till graduation to find what you're interested in and and to find opportunities like if that's where you are in life go ahead and do it but equally if you're not ready for that don't worry like you will get there I finished uni and didn't want to work I wanted to go travel and I did and I waited and I just found what was right for me I didn't do any volunteering or internships at university because I didn't want to and I'm still where I am now so just don't don't let that uh, kind of phase you because I remember being at university and comparing myself to people who'd done internships and part-time jobs and thinking that I was behind but you're not like you have your own path and don't forget that so I think I'll pause there thank you Fiona it's a really good uh, good point everyone's got their own path so yeah absolutely agree um but you might get there quicker if you've done stuff before <laughs> uh Sabina over to you all right thank you um, hi everyone, so my name is Sabina um, and I am currently working as an education program manager at a charity called Breaking Barriers. The primary aim um, of the charity is to get refugees and people of a refugee background into employment. And my roles and responsibilities have changed quite a bit over the past few years, um, as I was lucky to join the organisation at a time where it was growing and it continues to grow. So initially I was hired as an education officer, which was back in May 2018, and then went on to becoming a program coordinator and now a program manager. So I've gone from case working refugees, organizing, organizing like English and IT courses, uh, managing volunteers to creating materials, um, writing program strategy, recruiting new staff members and developing new courses. So I've had a, in the past two and a half, three years have been quite a lot of um, different roles that I've taken on. And similar to Fiona, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, wanted to do whilst I was at university. Um, I studied languages at undergrad and because I had a passion for languages and through studying multiple, I kind of understood the opportunities which arise when you, um, when you learn a language and the experiences that you have when you fully comprehend the language um, of the country that you are living in. So I did something that many students used to do um, and that's complete a TEFL and go traveling and teach over over the breaks over you know reading weeks and summer um, and that's where I was really exposed to like different types of teaching methodologies learning styles um, and that really helped me to get to where I am right now I started to develop an interest in refugees and forced migration whilst the Arab Spring was unfolding um, and I was further exposed to like the harsh realities of refugees whilst I was living in Egypt um, and during my master's at UCL, which was um, in transnational studies, I focused on the discrimination between different groups of refugees. And whilst I was doing my master's, I was volunteering at Haringey Migrant Support Centre um, to gain a better understanding of the situation of asylum seekers and refugees living in the UK. 
Um, once I completed my master's, I applied for internships in London and abroad. Um, they were all unpaid at that time, the ones that I was coming across. Um, and I was accepted as an intern at an international organization in Egypt. And I volunteered there for, I think it was three and a half months before I um, came back to London and got my job at Breaking Barriers. I do understand that for many reasons, not everyone is able to give their time for free and unpaid internships, although a valuable experience are not possible for everyone. So echoing a lot of what has already been said, I would really recommend to um, research the type of charity or NGO you would like to work for and have a look at job roles and person um, specifications and see what they are looking for. Um, I feel that for many of these organizations, especially if this is going to be your first job um, or your first role, you need to show commitment. So if, for example, you want to work at a charity that, you know, helps dogs, for example, show that despite having multiple responsibilities of studying and say working part time, you've been able to volunteer once a month or, you know, you've been able to participate in something that's got to do with helping dogs or helping animals, um, because that's in my experience and when I've been going through the recruitment process, that's that's something that I have been looking for. Um, and given my experience, I would really encourage you all to pursue a career that you are extremely passionate about. Um, because when I first started working, the only thing that would kind of make up for the longer hours and the, and, the, and the little pay was the fact that I really did want to make a difference to the lives of the people that I was working with, so the refugees and helping them, that was like the main thing that would keep me motivated. Um, and I think one of the best things about the role that I was working um, in was that I could see the impact that I was having and like my team was having firsthand. So I just like, I guess I'll just emphasize that, yeah, when, when trying to get a job in the charity sector, um, really follow a cause um, that you are passionate about and um, show your dedication, whether that's in your, you know, through your volunteering. Um, and in your cover letter and if you happen to go for, you know get a chance to go for an interview as well just show how you're really committed and uh, yeah committed to the cause um, because that in my opinion is highly important and that's it thank you Sabina I think that's really important what you've said there about um, how not everyone can afford to take those unpaid opportunities and but you know you do have to show your interest and your motivation to an employer um, so even if it's just once a month doing some volunteering or just something small can kind of help that. Um, that was really useful. Thank you. Okay. Thank you all. It was lovely to hear about your backgrounds and how you got into the sector. It's really great and so lovely. We have 28 questions. Um, so we've got a lot to get through. <laughs> so first question. Um, thank you. Um, so they Elisa's found it really hard to get into volunteering at the moment. The screening process being quite rigorous, which I think a couple of you mentioned um, volunteering at the moment is a good thing because you have a bit more time. Um, you can do virtual befriending and everything like that. But um, Elise has found that it has, has been really rigorous. So how would you recommend that students stand out in the volunteering applications? Would anyone like to kick off with an answer to standing out in volunteering applications? Emily, that'd be great. Yeah, because you've been doing this recently for your actual position. Yeah, so it is obviously a paid position that um, uh, that I've been recruiting for recently. Um, I think the same advice goes um, about. Make, I mean, it depends if it's applicate if it's a proper like application form. 
um then and there's a person specification then do what i did before really outline how you meet that specification um if you can have key examples then that's great and that's the same in interviews um i've just done many days of online interviews and you remember the people that are like you said that you need someone who can um facilitate online groups um i haven't done anything online but actually when i was at university i was part of this society and i ran groups or something like that like honestly really basic key examples um and really interrogate yourself about your skills because there are a lot of things that you could definitely link um i've seen some really creative answers about how people have had those skills and actually i really respect that because i thought think yeah you sat down and thought how can i meet this specification um how else can you stand out i think definitely having like i said earlier showing your passion for something um i don't think there's anything majorly wrong with jumping because as you grow and get older like your i mean your principles might change you might become interested in something new um your life experiences might change like there are some people who come and work for us who only became interested in autism when their child was diagnosed as autistic um so you know things can change but i think really demonstrating your your passion and your drive for um for that area i think i got a lot of cover letters that were obviously just for charities in general and there was there wasn't a single mention of the word autism or learning disability or anything like that so um i know it takes a long time but if you could just do one little link it shows that you're obviously interested in that role and not just any role um and i think you need to make the recruiter feel like this role is the one for you if if you can it's hard though it's really hard <laughs> with emily about passion i think you show your passion about what you you want to do if you have a really hard feeling for the charity you want to volunteer for when you go through the recruitment process the recruiter will see that so at the other church i'm also supporting the recruitment the national recruitment of all about volunteers and we are trying to get back to all of them and we do screening calls and we make sure that we give the opportunity to everybody but what i've noticed is that if you are applying for a role just make sure that you match those skills that you have with the role because that will show that you're quite fit for the role so i would say that's a really good advice to make sure that when you have the screening call or the interview to just show that you have those skills are matching really well with the role description i think that will really help you to to get into volunteering thank you so much paula um and emily for answering that question that was really useful um sorry did i just see sabina did you want to add something i just saw a hand go up and I go up, go back down but i couldn't see where it came from <laughs> sorry that was my hand um oh thanks adam uh, the other thing i think it's also about sort of the the narrative you use so i you know i've worked across like lots of different charities that don't necessarily all match together but actually you know recognizing that you can craft that and actually everyone you know will be sort of crafting it a little bit um i think the other thing would be really useful for when I was applying was remembering some of the really tangible projects I was working on. So I think something that no one tells you is make a note of sort of projects or things that you're working on. If you're, even if it's really tiny, or if it's part of a student committee, um, making a note somewhere, even if it's sort of on your memos or perhaps on LinkedIn, 
um, about, I don't know, you organize an event with 50 people, um, because when it comes to the application and the uh, interview process, that's really helpful to say, it means it sort of goes from, I'm good at organizing events to, I did this and this is how I did it. Great, thank you so much. That's a really helpful advice. Yeah, I always say that to students as well, to write down all the things that you're doing. Um, that's really helpful. So next question um, comes, um, it's a really interesting question actually, about how difficult is it to switch the thematic focus of your work once you're involved in the sector? So for instance, is it easy to switch from working on international migration to climate change policy was the, was the example given there? Has, has anyone switched their kind of theme of work and how easy is that to do? Yep, I'm happy to go. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've kind of ended up in a series of international development related roles in the last three roles that I've had, but almost purely by accident, I have to say. Um, as I said, I sort of started out in anti-austerity types of uh, volunteering and then I went on to work in women's rights, uh, you know, solely in the UK. Um, but then after that, I was able to get the job at Global Citizen, which was more, you know, focused on a variety of issues uh, across the whole range of SDGs. Um, so I think when it comes to transferring your thematic focus, it can it can really easily be done if you can show that you have, you know, the transferable skills, um, you know, we've mentioned the person spec, if you can show that you can hit some of the skills and experience needed in the person spec, then that is often what is uh, what people are most looking for in recruitment. But I think it's still really important to have passion when you're changing your focus. So um, if you're changing from something you're passionate about to something else that you're passionate about, that's great, as long as you can demonstrate in your application um, that you still have the sort of passion for that cause, then that's fantastic. I think I, I've never tried, I've never applied for a job where I'm not passionate in some way about the cause because you know, I, I think as has been mentioned previously, you, you end up working so hard in, in the charity sector, pay isn't as great as you could find elsewhere. So the benefit of doing it is really working in something that you're passionate about. So I think um, a real combination of showing that you have passion and having the transferable skills to move from issue to issue is, um, is the best way of doing it. And if you look at the careers of a lot of people who are kind of senior leaders in the charity sector, you'll see that they've worked at all kinds of different organizations focusing on a variety of issues. So you don't, don't be worried that you'll pigeon yourself, you're, that you'll pigeonhole yourself early if you get into one, you know, sort of thematic focus, because um, it is you are able to change later on if you want to. Thank you, Hannah. That was really good to know. Great answer to that one. Um, so the next question is a bit more of a general question. Um, so what's one thing that you've learned during your work that you couldn't during your studies? Uh, there's something around uh, sort of the compromise and sort of things not entirely always working out um, that well. Uh, and I think actually, you know, uh, it might be me looking back with a rose-tinted rose glow, but I think university works out quite well and things are sort of quite formatic and, and programmed. Whereas I think in, in sort of charities, uh, you, you come across kind of more obstacles or more sort of uh, challenges you might do. Um, and actually recognising that everyone is sort of learning a little bit on the, uh, on the spot as well. So there aren't sort of real experts and there aren't sort of people that you know dictate everything but your voice is just as valid which is obviously something really different from from study where you're sort of learning really from uh from an expert in the field uh, so yeah knowing that you can come up with ideas and come up with new ways of learning things um is probably the main thing for me 
Thank you very much, Adam. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, definitely agree with that um, in terms of the difference to academic study. Hannah, what were you going to say? Well, mine's kind of boring, um, but I think something that I've massively learned in, in working that I wasn't able to learn in my um, study was kind of more of those skills that you really only get in a working environment so things like how to facilitate meetings effectively to get the best out of people or um how to um you know how to work with others how to kind of you know liaise with different stakeholders all of those skills which I think you know depending on your study you might have the opportunity to work on those things if you're doing a lot of group work for example um but group work wasn't something that I did a lot during my studies um so really getting into the working world was the best way of learning some of the most important skills I think that can help you in any role you know in any sector things like you know just how to how to sort of comport yourself in a working environment um which is why I think a lot of the time it's invaluable to try and get that experience as early as you can I think just adding to Hannah people management um I mean I worked for maybe two years before I was given a team and actually the move to that I mean I now manage I want to say I say nearly five people because I've got some part-timers but um that's a huge part of my job now and actually it's um it's yeah thinking about other people's careers it's, it's a really big responsibility suddenly you have someone who is looking to you for their development and is looking to you to be kind of mentored and supported um and I think as you get a bigger team it's yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, it's also a lot of responsibility being a recruiting manager uh, and having the power to do that. Like sometimes I second guess myself and I'm like, am I old enough? Am I experienced enough to be making these decisions about who should be on my team? Um, so yeah, people management, definitely. Um, and you might, you might have some experience of that through kind of, yeah, volunteering or being like a community organizer or something like that. Um, and I took a lot of my people management skills from being a kind of volunteer manager of young people. Um, but yeah, it's a real, it's a real learning curve being responsible for other people and, and their lives and careers. Yeah, definitely echo that. And, and you've done it so early on in your career, Emily, uh, it was a huge learning curve for me last year and I did it after over 10 years of working. So yeah, to do it in two years is um, yeah, it's, admirable and must yeah been a good learning experience and still is I'm sure yeah and I think that's a small charity as well um I think there's the balance between the two so like a, I would look at big charities and be like wow their hierarchies like I can't even imagine having you know all those people between me and the CEO like I can email my CEO you know there's one person in between us um so yeah you can progress in different ways and actually people management I've just kind of amassed more people as my as my programs grown quite quickly um but yeah it's all great experience so do you think that that smaller charity um has enabled you to progress sort of quicker if you like than a larger larger charity um in this sense yes because when I'm being smaller I kind of have more autonomy and I'm kind of trusted a lot more 
um, because there aren't many levels of sign off. Like I've, I've done partnership work with other organizations like the NSPCC and like the sign off it takes to do a press release, I cannot fathom. Like if I need to do a press release, I give it to one person, we have a one comms person and we're done. Like I cannot fathom that. Um, but then I think what would be good for kind of, well, and what's also good in small charities is that, you know, I have my finger in every, in every pie. Like we get to experience lots of different things because there aren't any, there isn't anyone else to do it. Um, but then I do look at other bigger charities and think, wow, like there are so many jobs that I don't know exist because it's all packed into one job. And actually there's like a whole person that does email marketing or like a whole person who does like digital campaigning, like stuff like that, that still blows my mind. So I think um, there are benefits to both. But actually, if you're looking for like job titles or looking for like different roles, I think big charities are a good place to look and kind of like work out what's out there. Thank you. I can see lots of nods in the panel agreeing as, as well with what you just said there. And it seems it has a lot of parallels with working with a SME or a startup as versus a small company a bigger company or a multinational I think lots of parallels that can be drawn there thank you everyone okay um so we're on to our next question um and thank you for those um panelists that have answered some of the questions um by typing the answer in the Q&A that is really helpful so we're getting through our answered ones um thank you very much um, so the next one was about the pandemic and um, our work opportunities within charities and NGOs particularly affected by the pandemic, given that charities and NGOs rely heavily on funding and donations. Um, anyone want to take that about how the pandemic's affected your work? This question is more on the funding and donation side, but you could make it a bit broader if you like to kind of the general impacts of the pandemic on the charity. Um, uh, yes, I'm happy to, to answer that question. Um, I think, yes, COVID has uh, definitely affected um, a lot of the sector, especially the charity sector. We relied a lot on volunteering and fundraising through volunteering. And um, we tend to have a lot of volunteers supporting our services, going to do activities with them, maybe doing cake baking, selling cakes, and doing summer fairs, Christmas fairs, and that has definitely affected us. However, we have tried to change that, and we are trying through technology to bring a lot of opportunities in virtual befriending opportunities, virtual activities. So we have lots of things going on uh, to support all our residents at the moment. So we have music sessions, we have yoga sessions online, uh, what else do we have? We have, uh, wow, it's endless. I can't really say, I mean, I have to say the because we are a large charity, we have benefited from all these digital inclusion team. They pull it all together. They are bringing a lot of technology. We're trying to fundraise a lot of money so all residents can have access to iPads, uh, any digital equipment that can help us. But of course it has been a challenge. It has been a struggle, but we are moving there and, and we are getting there slowly and I think I could say proudly that the charity is doing really well in terms of adjusting to technology and, and making all the changes, but uh, it, it has changed and I'm sure it has affected some way or, or another um, our funding. But hopefully with the new um, vaccinations, I, I hope that helps and I hope we, we can always, always be hopeful about a, a better future. And I believe that 
in the future community can be huge and we can all support each other. But I have to say, volunteering is uh, something amazing and I really encourage everybody to, to do something if they, they really want to. Thank you, Paola. Good to hear about how your organisation has been impacted. Um, would anyone else like to add anything different? I guess I would like to add that it depends on the type of charity and whether they've been able to de deliver their, or like, yeah, deliver their services online. So with Breaking Barriers, we were able to switch to remote support so we can still carry out our support to all these refugee clients that we have. And that's why it hasn't affected our funding massively. We've had to, you know, change our targets around and funders are very aware and considerate of, of the situation. So it's been fine. Um, and we've actually done a lot of growth during this past year. We've, I think it's been an additional, I think maybe eight or nine members added to the team. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, yeah, it just depends on whether or not the charity has been able to, or if they can deliver their services online. Um, yeah. So National Thank Trust obviously raised a lot of money from people visiting its places, which has been uh, more difficult. We have had redundancies, so I think there probably would be less opportunities. But I think the one thing that we've seen and across the sector is that actually, whereas location was really important before, it, it's a lot less so now. So I think even sort of this, you know, this year and then the next year, um, you won't need to necessarily be based near our headquarters in Swindon or for me, based in Westminster to be able to do those jobs. So I think hopefully that makes it a bit more accessible, particularly those uh, charities that might have a real sort of uh, regional hub um, or office. Just to echo Adam there, um, I think it was NFP Social, they, they did a report and it was something like 5,000 British charities had had to do consultations and make redundancies. Um, for some charities, that might mean that they have a hiring freeze, um, but it might just be in the areas, obviously, that they've made redundancies. You can't then re-recruit to, to those roles for a while. Um, but yeah, the location thing is true. So whereas it, my office used to be in Muscle Hill, which isn't particularly helpful for anyone. <laughs> it's really nice, but it's not like a transport hub. Um, and that used to put a lot of people off applying, whereas this time I had people applying from all over the country, all over the UK, actually. Um, and that was fine because we are going to be home based for the foreseeable. And so actually it did open the opportunity a bit wider. Um, and it means that you don't have to pay London rent necessarily if you can if you can work from home. So, so, so many of my colleagues have got permanent working from home contracts now and have moved to the place they've always wanted to. So like one colleague has moved from Crystal Palace and now lives on the seafront in Brighton. Um, and actually they've made the decision that they don't need to be in London. Um, so I think that's definitely a benefit in my opinion. Thank you all. Yeah, um, had experience of, of that as well with colleagues that have moved away and uh, moved to the seaside. It makes us very jealous. <laughs> um thank you very much um the next question i'm not sure if anyone knows about um kind of the european um view of ucl maybe from colleagues or from things you've heard about the sector um but this person's question is that sort of working in brussels everyone knows about lse and, and knows about oxbridge um but maybe not necessarily knows about uh, ucl and is that a problem um 
Does anyone know anything about that? I can just jump in on that. I, not that I know anything necessarily, but like it seems like that question is coming from a place of, oh, if I'm at UCL and not those universities, am I at a disadvantage? And um, so I'd like to say, please don't think that because that's not true. Um, yes, of course, Oxford and Cambridge are super famous around the world, but at the end of the day, it's your skills and your knowledge that will get you somewhere. Um, that thing when you're that like name of the university and CV will get only get you like to an extent and if that place is only recruiting people from Oxford and Cambridge then you don't want to work there it's ridiculous so yeah just bear that in mind don't let that dishearten you I was uh, recruited by a fellow UCL history grad so uh, there's plenty of UCL opportunities out there uh, and UCL alumni is ready to help you into the sector. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. That's what I hoped you would say. <laughs> if there are any recruiting LSE and Oxbridge people, they can't have a very diverse workforce. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you very much. Um, okay. So we kind of touched on Haley's question a little bit earlier. She's been seeing a lot of unpaid internships um, in the last three to six months and wonders whether these types of work experience are worth it or is it better to take an unpaid internship for a shorter period of time and then look, look for paid work? Anyone speak to that? Well, I mean, it depends on, on your personal situation, of course, like uh, somebody else was saying earlier, you know, it might be difficult to volunteer or have an unpaid internship if you're struggling a little bit financially. But if you can, and if you can donate the time, and if it's really hard to get a paid internship, yes, by all means, I would say it's a really good idea to, to have a an unpaid internship if you can find it because obviously a lot of people are looking organizations looking for talented people if you do get an offer by all means just just take the opportunity i think that's very positive i hope that answers the question thank uh, you paula when i was um volunteering uh in internships during my summer holidays um i got one um i applied for one internship that was unpaid um but i also applied for one that was paid um in the end i actually got offered both um and i was able to speak to the unpaid one um who are a charity and to be honest i think felt a little bit guilty about having an unpaid internship and they were able to make it flexible so i think it's always worth or even if you've got a, a sort of a part-time job uh, perhaps working in a supermarket or something else to say look um i can do this but i can only do two days a week um, or similar and just have that conversation because people know uh, they don't expect you to come in and, and be able to say well I can work in, in unpaid internships for forever. Mm. I think that's a really important point and that reminds me of um, when I was at uni I think I really wanted to work with UN women and every single UN internship that comes out is like nine months unpaid you need a visa to work in New York. We're not going to help you pay for that. And uh, yeah, good luck, which is just, you know, it's abysmal. And I think the really important thing that Adam touched on is like having like respect for yourself and not being afraid to say to the organization, um, you know, what can you what can you offer me if you can't pay me for my time can you at least give me um lunch and expenses and you know if can you be flexible um is there any flexibility in budget and things like that so just you know stand up for yourself if you're offered something if you're really interested in the role but you need the money kind of use that as you can try and use that as leverage um 
and if it's absolutely impossible for them to pay you at all then you can always move on but I think when it comes to you know longer unpaid internships or shorter ones I guess you know the shorter the better so that you don't spend so much time being unpaid because that is you know in London that's very unsustainable um but yeah flexibility is really key I worked when I was interning at Fawcett um when it was unpaid for that first month I worked at a bar job in the evenings and so I just said to them like look can you be flexible and let me um because you're not paying me can you at least let me leave early on the days that I need to go and get to the pub to work to pay my rent um so just being honest with them as well is really crucial just to echo everyone again I think be really careful um I mean I responded to someone in the chat asking about how I got funding from Santander that was a UCL scheme at the time I don't know if it still is um, it does yeah so that okay great whereas um i found the, the the charity and then they basically we did a joint application so i like kind of like hannah i sent loads of emails to places being like i really value what you do and would you be interested you don't have to pay for me but i'd be there um and then i saw we worked together on the application they wrote about how it would benefit them as a small charity to have like an extra pair of hands and then wrote what skills i would get out of it um, and so then Santander through UCL funded that. Um, I, without that, I mean, I, that would have been it. Like that was the reason that I was able to stay in London. And then that was the reason that I then got my first job. And without that, I would have, yeah, had to go home, um, which wouldn't have been the end of the world, but that was definitely the start of my career. Um, I just think be really careful. I think if, an organization is asking for you unpaid full time for six months just really check their principles because I don't think that's right at all um I mean some places do only pay I think I was the last year that Bernardo's didn't pay um and then after that they did a policy and said you know we're not doing unpaid internships anymore we don't agree with that and they paid expenses they paid expenses when I was there but if Paula's right, if it's the only experience you can get and you're able to do that, then by all means. Um, but just be careful that you're not, I don't know how to put this nicely, being exploited basically, um, especially for six months full time, people get paid for that. So just, just be careful and protect yourself basically. Yeah, I, I agree with, with, with both of you as well. Um, and, I, and I think, yes, expenses are really important. I mean, most charities, even if you do three months internship, they, they will give you um, lunch and travel expenses. Some of them are really generous, which is quite nice. Um, but yeah, just um, maybe you can negotiate as well, you know, feel uh, strong enough to, to, to show that you also have other skills and time and um, that you also need some sort of um, reimbursement as well because you're valuable. So just make sure that you can also put your um, make your point across and and eventually you'll it will help you at least to get into a paid role. I, I believe that that will help you to to step into a paid uh, position at some point. So it it it's tricky, but I, I will recommend doing it even if it's for a short period of time. Thank you all. And, and the more people that do um, stand up for themselves and negotiate and uh, and say that it's not right, you know, the more chances we have of stamping out unpaid internships in the sector and providing equality of opportunity for all, really. Yeah. 
Um, and if you are concerned at any point, you could always come and talk to us in careers about that as well. Um, thank you, great question. Um, okay, so tips for beginners. So if you are coming to this, you're maybe a first year or you've maybe not done any work experience or any volunteering at all and you're completely new to the sector, what would be the first thing that you can suggest that someone might do? I'll probably say do a little bit of research about what you're really passionate about. Uh, find out what you're really uh, passionate about with charities close to your heart. Maybe because you're from a certain country or like in my personal experience, I'm Latin American. So I wanted to support the Latin American community. But if you're passionate about children's rights or um, the environment, so something like that, that will help you to, to, to think, okay, this is a charity I want to work for because I'm really passionate about this subject and I feel my skills can really match any of those roles that are related to this charity. I think that could be a good way to, to start with. Thank you, Paula. So yeah, thinking about what your, what your causes are, what your what causes you're interested in, what you're passionate about. And, and someone asked, I think earlier, um, for resources on that and I've directed people to Charity Choice which is a good website where you can search through different charities around different causes um, if any of you know any others then um, do let us know. Um, any other kind of starting points other than knowing your finding your cause or your passion? Um, I would say I would say start small. This might just be my experience, but I think someone asked a question in the chat earlier about whether or not it's best to try and start working at a smaller organization or a larger organization. I just think the smaller the organization, the more help they need, and it's more likely that they will have opportunities, whether volunteering or paid for you to get involved with. Um, so yeah, I think that's often the best way of getting started because I think when it comes to the larger organizations like Save the Children UK, like Cancer Research UK, there's like a whole long process to volunteer with them. Um, and you have to fill out an application form just for something to volunteer, which you know you can just decide whether or not that's how you want to spend your time. But if you really just want to quickly get involved with volunteering for something and getting experience of working in a cause at the moment there's never been more need for people to to help out and there are really there are loads of small community groups who are organizing together to help people who are affected by the virus in all different ways obviously a lot of that will be online at this point um but there's a lot of stuff that you can do in the community as well um so yeah i would say that that's kind of my piece of advice on that try and start small um to get a foot in the door and then work your way up to bigger organizations from there Thank you very much, Hannah. That's really helpful. Um, so the next question is for um, the international students. Um, and I don't know if anyone knows if their organisation has sponsored um, international um, students or work visas in the past can be um, tricky. And um, uh, we do have the new graduate route coming in, which um, from this summer, which will allow um, students to stay for two years in the UK and the, the employer doesn't need to sponsor. Um, so that's an interesting new route that's coming in. Um, got limited information from the government at the moment, um, but we are running a talk um, two weeks today um, around this time, around one till two, which will be advertised on my UCL careers. And, and that's with our visa and immigration team who will go through 
a new route in as much detail as we have at the moment, which is quite limited. Um, but does anyone know, um, does that organisation sponsor um, international uh, visas at all? Emily? Um, we had a very brief update at SMT yesterday about this, but again, apparently they're not sure of all the information about the new schemes. Um, so Ambitious, um, there is the charity and then we have a schools trust, um, which is autism, autism specific schools. Um, and ooh, I know for sure in the schools that they do sponsor um, and that they will be carrying on with that sponsorship, sponsorship scheme and that, but those are kind of like TA roles, so teaching assistant roles, um, and they're on the like shortage list now, something like that. So they will carry on sponsoring those. Um, and then there was something about, shouldn't really give half information, should I? A tier five voluntary visa, something like that. And they were gonna carry on with those. So, I mean, we're a tiny, tiny charity and, and we do that, but I don't know about other organizations. Um, and then they were talking about when you recruit people ha now have to demonstrate from a certain point that they do have the right to work in the UK. Um, but that can't be used against you. So they can't not shortlist you because of that. Um, there's all sorts of new stuff coming in, but like Amy said, they're waiting for guidance from the government. But yes, some charities do sponsor um, and we are one of those. Thank you, Emily. Um, that's really useful and good to know that the schools do sponsor as well. Um, and the tier five is a good route for people to look up. Um, if you don't know anything about it, um, do, do look it up. Um, UK Keyser website is a very good um, website for kind of visa information and the UCL visa and, and immigration page as well. Um, but yes, that is another route. Good one to mention, tier five. Um, Paula, were you an international student because you studied in Colombia and then um, here in the UK, right? Uh, yes, that's right. I was I, I studied in Colombia, then I moved to the UK and I had to go through visas and all these paperwork that I know it can be quite a lot of work for the students and I understand, you know, it's not, not very easy. Uh, but I was lucky enough to stay in the UK uh, for a long time. So now I'm, I'm a resident and that's very helpful. But we do we do have a, at Leonard Cheshire, we have a overseas volunteering opportunities and we support with these um, processes and I know everything is changing with Brexit I'm not so sure how it works at the moment but if some of you are finishing your degrees and, and you want to over volunteer and coming from overseas I think there is a path for for them to apply from abroad and then we go through a lot of recruitment process we screen uh, your CVs and and we try to to have a lot of volunteers who can come from overseas and be placed in the residential homes uh, but because we are not doing face-to-face -face volunteering, I'm not sure how it's working at the moment. But just please feel free to visit our website because we do have a really good scheme on overseas volunteering. And, and yeah, so if, if you want to stay in the UK, it's a great place to stay. But I'm sure there are some other charities that might do this kind of opportunities. I'm not sure how many, but it's worth um, looking at it. Yes. Um, thank you, Paula. Yeah, there are lots of other opportunities like that, aren't there? Um... And you can go and work overseas and volunteer overseas as well um, is another way yeah. to look at it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. So our next question is from Katharina. Um, what do you wish you had people to help you with? What do you wish volunteers interns would ask or help you with? 
so if you're basically if you're creating your own opportunity or making a speculative application or a speculative volunteering application like how is the best way to go about that like um because obviously asking something like how can I help is quite vague um so can can you turn it into something a bit more specific what can your ask be has anyone ever been approached in this way to ask for a kind of volunteering or an internship opportunity and what's been helpful for you I've had it before where someone's come to me with kind of a, a very specific and quite discrete pitch about a project they want to do or also something we're not doing at the moment. So for example, someone said that they were really keen, uh, I think they were, might have been a history student or someone similar, they were really keen to do some research on where the National Trust had influenced policy in the past and how that might be able to help us in the future. Um, and they basically sort of set out an idea of how it would work, um, why um, it was it might be useful for the organisation and kind of where we weren't doing it already. Um, so it made it almost sort of easier then to hand on to, I mean, NT has a lot of, has a lot of uh, different levels, as, you know, uh, as I was saying earlier, um, but hand it on to kind of seniors and say, look, actually, this is quite a nice piece of project. It doesn't mean that we're having to spend lots of time managing it because it sort of does it on its own and doesn't impact on kind of some of our core work. Thank you, Adam. Um, that's really helpful. Um, anyone else? Yeah, I was just, um, sorry, Sahina. <laughs> I was just gonna add, um, it just, it's just if, if that happened to me and I, I was approached by someone, um, I think what would make it easiest if you know roughly kind of the area that you want to work in, it would make it so much easier for the person you've contacted to find you an opportunity rather than say, I just want to help out because I, I don't really know, I don't know what I would do with that. It, it takes me much more effort to think, okay, well, who do I talk to, to think of how I can help you? Whereas if you said to me, I wanna work in this specific area around this specific work, I could then maybe speak to someone and say, is anything available? So yeah, just maybe think about what it is that you wanna get out of it and approach it that way. Cause then that's just more beneficial for both sides. Yeah, so trying to be more specific. Um... And you might just want to start with a conversation rather than ask asking for an opportunity in your initial um, approach. I always advise people to, you know, just start with an ask for an information interview or like a 10 minute call with someone about their role and what they do. Um, someone's much more likely to say yes to that than asking for um, an opportunity. Um, just to add to that, sorry. Just to add to that, I'd say um, follow the work of the organisation and know what they're doing. So I've had a couple of volunteers come to me because they've seen that we're developing new courses, for example, we're going remote. And so they've said, oh, we've got, you know, experience in doing X, Y and Z. And we think we could be very beneficial to you here. Or they've read like our annual report, for example, and they know what our plans are for the future. So um, I think if there is a specific charity, charity that you would like to work for, just kind of follow up on what they're doing what their current kind of aims are and see how you can help them um, in achieving that uh, achieving those aims um, it can be useful thanks Sabina I was going to say about content um, so digital content website content if you've got good writing skills which I imagine you all do um, writing content is great um, we've had quite a few kind of like speculative things come into the info inbox being like I'm an autistic young person and I would really like to talk about this experience or I'm a teacher or I'm a student, different things. And would you, would you be interested in a blog, an article, a, 
a video, something like that. Um, and we've got some really, really good content and people have become like guest bloggers for us um, and things like that. Um, and um, then you can negotiate payment for that. So being paid per piece. Um, for example, all the young people I have on my books who are autistic young people, if they take part in help out with like training or working on resources then they are paid for their time. So again, if you are gonna offer things like that, only do it if you're able, um, because if they're getting a good piece of content that is like driving people to your charity, um, then you should be paid for that. <laughs> and it's just gonna bang the same drum. Um, I've also been recently um, approached by so many people who want to volunteer and they said, I would like to help. Just tell me what roles you have available. So I said, yes, of course, let's see. And so what I usually do, I ask them, what the skills do you have? What can you offer to us as well? And then I'll try to, depending on what they say, to match them with the roles that we have. So I think by asking them what the skills they have, they also uh, helps them to question themselves what they want to do. I think that uh, that's a very important question for all of you. What would you like to do? And if you manage to answer that question to yourself, then that's easier to, to see where you can go. Thank you all. That was really helpful. Um, I think that's all we've got time for um, with one minute to go. And so I'm sorry to everyone that we um, didn't get through all of our questions today. And I really thank you for, for putting, um, putting your questions in. Um, panelists, are you happy if, if, if you're on LinkedIn? Are you happy if people add you on LinkedIn or ask questions um, there if they really wanted to follow up something that you know, they couldn't, couldn't ask today? Um, or if you prefer it can, um, can go through me or if you're if you're not happy I'm seeing no, nods totally fine with yeah, that yeah go ahead I think people have already started actually because I've just yeah. had a few notifications <laughs> come through so <laughs> fantastic um, students always make sure that you uh, say that you were at the event today so that the panelists know who you are and then they're more likely to to respond to your query and, and add you accept your invite whether they might be like oh who is this person like I don't know so do add a note to your to your request okay a huge huge thank you to you all all our panelists you've been absolutely brilliant and um, we really loved hearing about your insights about your experience and such great advice for getting into the the charity and ngo sector so a big well done and a virtual applause to you um thank you very much and um yeah i hope you have a great rest of your day thank you all so much for listening to today's episode there are so many key takeaways from this panel discussion. From making sure that you can demonstrate your passion for a particular cause by gaining a variety of experiences within that area, and there being no one correct pathway into the charities and NGO sector, as all skills and experiences are highly valued. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again on the UCL Careers podcast.